0: Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 45, brought to you by the Fine Folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K I S T. As always, here to talk with me about the Wentz Performance Review, the upcoming enemy quarterback, and other things, quarterbacking around the world is QB1 in our hearts, in our minds. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing,
1: brother? I'm doing okay, buddy. I'm doing okay. Just okay? What We've hit that point of the season where we need a break. I, I yeah. think collectively, the football world, football Twitter, all of us here, we just need a break. And yeah. I need it to be June because June is the one month where we get a chance to sort of pause and recharge and do some nerdy stuff like playbook study, scheme study, things like that. But I digress. We as always start with our historical reference. And this was a – Actual listener request, Scott McGill, I believe I have that right, you know, he reached out recently when I mentioned the Muppets Christmas Carol, (laughs) and it is the holiday season, and I do not know, dear listeners, gentle listeners, if Mike and I will be on before Christmas because Christmas is a week from tomorrow, Wednesday, and just in case, I did want to do a little bit about Dickens and his Christmas Carol. Dickens. And I do want to read, I do want to read from A Christmas Carol itself, the beginning which I have plagiarized probably 452 times as a football writer. This beginning, Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatsoever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it and Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to old Marley was as dead as a doornail mind. I don't mean to say that. I know of my own knowledge, what there is particularly dead about a doornail, I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail as the deadest piece of iron in the trade, but the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile, and my unhallowed hand shall not disturb it, or the country's done for. You will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. And Dickens continues, the mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood. Or nothing wonderful can come with a story I am going to tell. Now, that is the part that I usually paraphrase. I would say something like, Trubisky was bad to begin with. (laughs) And, you know, I'll go on to say that, like, this must be understood or nothing wonderful was going to come with a story I'm going to tell. And then I do some stupid football stuff like chopping up plays or whatever. But since this is a historical reference moment. A fabulous work is the annotated Christmas Carol, which I'm holding up right here for the dear listeners. It's it's wonderful. They annotate it. They tell the story and the history and stuff like that. But that phrase, the wisdom of our ancestors, which Dickens says the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile, that was a political shot. According to the annotated notes here, this is a sarcastic reference to a cant political phrase said to originate with a conservative Irish philosopher and statesman Edmund Burke. And his famous speech on conciliation with the American colonies, delivered in the House of Commons on March 22, 1775, Burke admitted to a, quote, profound reverence for the wisdom of our ancestors, who have left us the inheritance of so happy a constitution and so flourishing an empire and what is a thousand times more valuable, the treasury of the maxims and principles which formed the one and obtained the other. Dickens and other 19th century reformers thought otherwise. And so that little simile right there, he's just taking a political shot at Edmund Burke and others. And so in that vein, Michael, mm. what wisdom of our forefathers do we have to revisit and take a shot at today? Today? What is it? What, what, mean, like literally today? <laughs> no, like right now, do we have to revisit everything we thought for example, about the <laughs> NFC East this season. Because if you think back to last summer, right? Yeah. When all the idiots, myself included, said, look, the NFC East is, is stacked, man. Like Dallas, Philadelphia, those rosters look complete. It's going to be an absolute cage match. The winner of the NFC East is going to go on a run. And here we are talking about two teams that people are wondering if they even belong In the playoffs, Washington wasn't even eliminated
0: until two weeks ago when they lost to Green Bay. Like that's that's how bad the NFC East has been, and it's 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 been a total joke and it's been a total disappointment. Like now now you're talking about Dallas. There's things being leaked about the fact that they had reached out and put out feelers for Sean Payton and everything like that. And Jerry Jones has been putting his coach on blast like over and over again. Like if they didn't beat the Rams, it would just be pure chaos for them.
1: And Urban Meyer in the booth at FedEx. (laughs) and people are speculating that he did that just to get under Jerry's skin because he yeah. wants the Cowboys gig like it's a this this division's a mess. Football is a mess. I'm going back to being a lawyer, and I and I still want the Eagles to make the
0: playoffs. But it's like, what's what's what do you really have when it comes to pride to take away from right. that? There's there's not a whole lot. But no. you know, we're we're gonna go through this week, which is Dallas week, and we're gonna tell ourselves that you know this is the this is the most important game of our lives, and we're gonna react to it, it is. and live by every play and die by every play. And and with that in mind, uh, look, I don't have a historical reference today. I got a short week mark i'm getting the hell we'll get out a of here short week yeah I'm, I'm, I'm going up to chicago for the holidays i'm gonna fly out on friday
1: kissed on the road
0: yeah buddy i was
1: not aware of this <laughs> yeah
0: flying out friday and then I'm, I'm not coming back till christmas morning so i can i'm flying back on christmas morning to make sure that i spend it with my my oldest son so i don't have the historical reference but i do have some quarterbacks to talk with so we got to get this in quick because i need all of these audio files into me now so i can get this done before <laughs> i have to fly
1: wait is that is that a mess? Message to me or is that a message
0: to like blg that's blg that that's that's tholeness that's that's been they're actually all doing a great job we're gonna have a ton of shows to you everybody's been on time been early been getting their shows in so we are going to have you covered here at bgn don't worry about it we plan for this at the very last second possible, so <laughs> you are in good hands. But Mark,
1: capable hands, yeah.
0: Let Let's start to talk about these uh, these two quarterbacks in this matchup here. And and I'm I, I've gone through a lot of the film from from Wentz against Washington, and look like the stats look great. 30 for 43, 69% completion percentage, nearing on 70 there. Three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 109.3 quarterback rating. Sacked a couple times, had some fumbles, which we're going to talk about. But overall, you look at it and it look and it looks great. And then you look at PFF and PFF has him graded as like a 49, like one of his worst games of the year. And and look, a lot of that is because of the, of the fumbling, and I get that. At the same time, there there were also some inconsistencies in his game. You know, the usual like misses to Ward in the flat, and then he's a little bit high on Earth. So there There were some inconsistencies there, but I think the the major takeaway and the takeaway that a lot of people have, number one, winning cures all. So, with Carson leading his second game-winning drive in two weeks. It's been big for him. It's been big for the team's confidence, and it's something they need coming into this game. What did you think about Wentz overall in this Washington game?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this was sort of a bottom line game. Look, you, you go into Washington, you get the W, you get it in somewhat dramatic fashion, and he makes probably the throw of the year along the way. Like, That's a bottom line game where I think you have to be impressed with what he did. The fumbles are an issue. And like you said, we're going to talk about them. There's another thing that I noticed watching this game, both on the broadcast tape and then when the All-22 came out. And I believe you saw it on the miss of the flat to to Scott. You saw it on a couple of other plays. Is he developing a bad habit of making some follow-away throws? Like I'm starting to see more moments from Wentz where like you look at – Second quarter, first and 10, 14, 16. He's going to pass to J-Jaw in the end zone. And he does a great job of sort of resetting in response to pressure on the left side. But he releases this sort of fall away. and he doesn't need to do that. And he doesn't get enough on the throw. The ball hangs a bit. Defender's able to get under it and break it up. If he steps into this, it's six. Yeah. And I'm seeing more and more moments like this. And He's like a three-point shooter fading away after his shot, like watching it. Yeah, he's looking like Steph Curry, Yeah, you know, faded away. And I I get it in the sense that when you're under pressure a lot as a quarterback and you've got trash at your feet a lot as a quarterback, your natural human response is to make some of these throws and to sort of protect yourself. And Wentz does a pretty good job with his lower body. You actually, you put up. That play where people thought he should hit Ward on a seam after he released the throw, but he's trying. He initially wants to go left because the guy's uncovered. He doesn't get the snap in time. His whole body is set up that way, and he does a great job of then resetting his feet well enough to throw the stick route to the tight end and number three on the right. So he's usually pretty good with his lower body mechanics. It's just on that throw to Jay Jaw and some others in this game. He makes them while he's falling away and you lose velocity you lose placement and it leads to some missed opportunities when you're headed into a week where you need to capitalize on any chance you get you're going to need him to make some of these throws
0: So I definitely agree with you, and I and I agree with the fact that the Wentz was under pressure a lot in this game. I think PFF had him around forty four point five percent, but even when he's not, I do feel like he is falling off some throws, and it has been somewhat of a trend. Speaking of a trend, and we'll keep it on the negative side here before we have some more major takeaways. But you know, a lot of fumbles for Wentz lately, and this was not an issue early on in the season. This is something that has popped up very recently for him. It wasn't really around in 2018. He was better at it. 2017, I thought he did a great job at it. 2016, his rookie year, it was a huge issue. This feels more like the run he had in 2016. And I understand not all of those fumbles are, are his fault, like I know one of them was was a low snap that's accredited to him as a fumble, but like on that play, he actually did a great job because that was supposed to be a handoff and he yeah. replaces where the running back is supposed to go and ends up getting two yards out of it. So that was, that was great thinking on, on his part. But when you look at it overall, I, I feel that there has to be some sort of fundamental breakdown because this wasn't happening before and it's not like Wentz hasn't always been like, there's this discussion that there's like this double-edged sword type thing. Like, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Like, you're going to have to live with some of that. I don't think that's necessarily the case with the fumbles because there are times to make plays there are times to not make plays and I feel as if his risk management has swayed too far into being aggressive and I understand the mental aspect of it he feels that he's got to carry the team and make plays he feels that the that the offense can't survive his sack but at the same time sometimes just taking a sack is just another way to live another down instead of you know separating your your second hand from the ball Ben brings it up a lot and I think it's a great point In the Gruden QB camp, you know, Gruden had told him, you know, two-handed monster – Two-handed monster all the time, and I think Wentz has kind of gotten away from that. When you
1: looked at his fumbles, what did you see? What
0: clarity can you bring to that, if if any?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the point about the two-handed monster is an extremely apt one. Before he retired, one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch in the pocket was Andrew Luck, and his ability to sort of handle pocket and pressured and response to the pressure stimulus that he would see was incredible. And he would always do it with that left hand glued to the football. It was like teaching tape. Anytime he was pressured, anytime he moved, that left hand. Never never detach itself until it was time to throw. And once you, you heard it during the broadcast and you see it at other times in this game, he doesn't have that left hand on the football and, and it causes some problems. You know, another aspect to this, you look at some of his his fumbles this season, there's the sort of decision making process and speed element to it as well. You look at, you know, the fumble week seven against Dallas first quarter, second and four nine twenty-three. He wants to throw a Y spot snag to Ertz and it's covered and he hangs on it too long, ends up getting hit and fumbles. He's got to come off that quicker. And this sort of gets into some of the discussions we've had this entire season on this show about not trusting what he's seeing, really sort of trusting his guys or thinking he wants to throw to his guys rather than coming off of reads and things like that. And so that's an issue there. Also, the fumble against the Patriots right before halftime where he pulls it down. He's not trusted what he's seeing, gets himself in trouble. Juwan Bentley does a really good job of getting under the Y out stick route that he wants to throw. Leads to a fumble. It's also the fumble against Seattle. Sometimes, look, and this gets to the double-edged sword thing. The fumble against Seattle, not the sprint draw. The other one, which was a cavalcade of carnage akin to Verdun, where you have jet motion. The wide receiver trips over the right tackle. Both of them are on the ground. You know, the ball gets punched out. Dan Hatman phrased it this way. The fight or flight response for a quarterback and how he handles the pocket. You, The great ones stay in the pocket and fight. But you do need to sort of balance that a bit. Sometimes yeah. you need to either escape or just live to fight on the next play once is more the fight guy. And that's the reason we get drafted second overall. But it is that sort of you can't have your cake and eat it too moment with him. So there are times when he needs to just sort of take a sack. So it's a whole host of issues. There's the feel for the pocket. You, know, you saw it in Washington, the fumble that he lost at the 640 mark of the fourth quarter. You know, he double clutches it, doesn't feel that sort of backside pressure. The guy that had gone behind him behind the back of the pocket is now coming back. Doesn't quite feel that doesn't have the second hand on the ball. Ball gets popped out. So you have the technique in the pocket. You have the process and speed and decision making and that fight or flight issue. These are all connected. It's not just one thing you can point to. So let's go to the positive side of things. Now that we've dealt with uh, the wins fumbling Dallas issues. Now it's him after a win. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it, it needs to get cleaned up because, I mean, we saw in the first Dallas game, But that obviously was a big turning point early on in the game that really dug. The Eagles into a hole after Dallas Goddard had already fumbled on the first drive. Now you're down 14 0 and you're trying to scrape out of out of a, a big deficit there. So that's got to get cleaned up. But some late game heroics by Wentz. And overall, I felt like there were some really good throws put on tape by Wentz. The one to Sanders is, is all over the timeline where he scrambles and puts it on a frozen rope and, and all that stuff. And, 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 you know, that's the typical Wentz play that we point to and go, see the, the double edged sword thing. You, you can't have this without that. Well, you know, he's also not in the grasp of a defender on this one. But at the same time, at the end of the game, Guy goes completely unconscious. I felt, for the last drive of the game. And the Eagles did a really good job scheming it up. The guys made the catches they were supposed to make. But Wentz overall coming through in the clutch, like that's no longer a talking point for him. And I've always felt like game-winning drives were overrated. There's a baseline of, okay, is he going to fold or is he not going to fold? And I think we're we're pretty confident that we can say Wentz is not going
1: to fold in these moments. Yeah, I think we can be confident in that belief right now. And even Look, that game wouldn't drive. One of the bigger plays on that was a third and five to Ward at the four oh one mark. Throws that sort of second double dig that's coming from the right to the left, and he makes it falling away, and he puts it right on him with great velocity. So all the stuff I said earlier in the show, just throw it out the window because I'm apparently an idiot. I mean, he did go unconscious in that drive, and you look at the touchdown throw that sort of ended it, that was beautiful. I mean, you, you can't throw that route in that moment any better than he does. He's again sort of fallen away from pressure, drops it right to the back corner, defender and underneath trail coverage. You know, if he tries to throw that anymore on a line, it's getting broken up. The right trajectory, the right amount of loft, the placement on it was beautiful. The end to this game was spectacular. I mean, there might be some little flaws and some rough edges we can sand away. This was a great performance from him at the end. And look, they needed this win. You know, otherwise everything we're talking about this week doesn't matter. And they got it. It was one of those performances where, again, sort of similar to last week when we're talking about that Giants game where, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who you beat. It's a divisional rival. And you have that sort of win and that sort of clutch performance, whether it's a comeback, whether it's a late game drive, that teams can build on, that guys can believe in. And then, You know, you get that moment where everybody else in the huddle just believes in number 11. And that's more important, perhaps, than anything else. Carson Wentz may need another magical late game
0: heroic performance against Dallas. We'll see. But we won't find that out until we talk next week. And I'll be back from fresh from not even vacation. I'm going to be working in Chicago doing the recap show and everything like that. But we're going to talk more about this matchup. We're going to talk about Dak Prescott when we come back here on the Cubisco Show. And we are back here on the QB Sco show episode 45 SB Nation Bleedy Green Nation Michael Kist here with Mark Schofield. Mark, let's get into the other side of this matchup. We already talked about Carson Wentz. Let's talk about Dak Prescott and what we're seeing from him. I mean, you have some great pieces up on, on Pat's pulpit is the one that you sent me about Dak Prescott going leading into the matchup with uh New England. Yep. You're talking That's about right. Dak Prescott, a passing game. The first thing I want to touch on, though, you put this up for Bleeding Green Nation, and this will be in the article that I post for this show. This is about the Cowboys use of motion for your BGN inside the playbook. And I really like this yep. because it kind of explains the marriage between Kellen Moore and Dak Prescott. And it was a lot of the things that people were asking for from this offense after Scott Linehan was fired. What, what do you see schematically from Kellen Moore that is helping out Dak Prescott in his game?
1: Yeah, I mean, th- there's two things. The the video that we put together um, that gets into the how they use motion. It breaks down a couple of different plays, five different plays throughout their season. You've got plays against, you know, Buffalo, plays against the Packers, plays against Washington, and it's a bunch of different things. But what it really stands for is the idea that the motion gives the quarterback information pre snap, so he knows whether it's man or zone. So that's you know one thing that certainly helps the quarterback. There's you know the first example of it, they motion to a stack. Dak knows that it's zone. Motion Man runs basically a run-through to occupy the split field safeties. And then he has a dig coming from the outside as well. The, th- the run-through route runs off the safeties. He knows that that outside corner is going to be playing z- zone technique with outside leverage. So it frees up the dig route coming to the middle, replaces where the safety is vacated. So that's a nice little design. There's another play against the Packers where there's motion. He knows it's man, and he's got a double-move concept, a mirrored double-move. Double moves on both boundaries. Double moves probably get people's guards up over here at Eagles Nation. And so <laughs> the corner bites on it and he knows it's man coverage. And so he drops it a great throw for a huge game. And there's also some motion that allows them to exploit defensive responses regardless of zone versus man. Because there's a play where they motion the up back out to the boundary. That puts Cooper in the slot. There's now a strong safety playing over Amari Cooper. That's a matchup you want to exploit. So he gives you soft coverage throws a simple slant route and you're able to take advantage of it. And so that's one way that Kellen Moore has helped his quarterback by giving him motion, giving him information before the play. The other thing that he does is he layers routes extremely well. And this was sort of the piece that I wrote for Pat's pulpit where, you know, you'll have like a three-level read to the middle of the field or a flood concept or a sail concept to the sideline where you're still stretching a defense, you know, line of scrimmage to deep or... You know, one side of the field, maybe you've got like a backside route and then the combination three-level flood to the right and a backside route to the left. You're stretching the field for the defense, sideline to sideline, line of scrimmage deep. But Dak really just has to read just one area of the field. He can just read the flood concept. He can just read the digs with the mesh over it or the levels over the middle of the field. And it makes the job easier for him. And that's Kellen Moore's job. You know, his job as an offensive coordinator isn't to make things hard for his quarterback. It's to make it easy for his quarterback so we can be successful. And by using motion, by using some of these layering concepts, he's done a good job of it. Looking at his
0: overall game, like the season that he's having, and then kind of we'll we'll dial in on what it means for the Eagles. Dak is fourth in QBR. He's seventh in adjusted net yards per attempt. He's the sixth graded quarterback per PFF of all the the ingrained starters that have played fifty percent of the snaps. And one thing that I was looking at, and I was talking about this with with John Stolness before we recorded in the Slack channel here, we were talking about how Dak looks when pressured versus not pressured, how he looks when blitz versus not blitz. I, I know Jaws had put something on the timeline that that john was uh, interested in when it came to what he looks like under pressure and under pressure this year yeah he's, he's definitely struggling a lot of quarterbacks do but 73.9 quarterback rating compared to 110.6 when he's not pressured but when you look at like how that pressure has to come he's been really good throughout his career against the blitz and the numbers reflect that as well like he had a something like a 110 quarterback rating in 2017 when he was blitzed this year when he's been blitzed 95.2 quarterback rating that's still really really good so when you see that difference between under pressure and win blitz and you're like okay so you have to pressure him but you have to pressure him with four has to come with four because he's really good against the blitz how is dak beating the the blitz that well to the point where it would discourage a guy like jim schwartz who has been known to be very uh uh, aggressive in weird spots this year, I think is the best way to put it. How would that discourage him from from coming at Dak that way?
1: Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of how he's bleeding, beating the Blitz this season, a lot of it gets to what we were just talking about. Because if he knows what he's going to get from the defense, if he knows, look, I've got a man pressure, look, I've got a zone pressure, look, he knows where his hots are, he knows where his quick reads are. You know, when, when you've got just like one area of the field to read on some of the later in examples – it makes it so look, blitzes are designed to speed up a quarterback and to make him do something stupid because he's not really thinking right. But if all he has to do is like read one area of the field, or if he knows exactly what you're doing because he's being given pre snap motion, it eliminates the main effectiveness and the main reason for blitzes, which is to mess with the quarterback's timing in mind. And so, you know, it sort of negates the positive aspects of blitz in that sense. And the other thing to sort of remember with Prescott is despite all the criticism I've laid at his feet, you know, from a lack of ball placement and things like that. You know, he's a competitive guy who can handle pressure well. And maybe the throws aren't precise. Maybe the ball placement isn't teaching tape or anything like that. But if if he faces pressure, if he faces a blitz, he can at least put the ball on the guy quickly to get it out of his hands and negate that pass rush. So that's the main reasons why he's able to fare well when blitzed. The other thing to remember, though, is – this is a Eagles defense It doesn't need to blitz to get pressure. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about this all season long, dating back to you know when the Pats and the Eagles play. They can get pressure with four. They can get pressure with the guys up front. And I think if I'm Schwartz, I'm worried about my job, but I'm also thinking that I've got to get pressure with four this week. I don't really want to blitz Dak because the numbers and everything they've done to date indicate that they have success when you're doing that. Try to get pressure with four. That's I know it's not the most illuminating idea of getting pressure with four. Yeah, of course, you'd love to do that. But I
0: think that's got to be a goal this week. Another way that Dak can hurt the Eagles, not only against the Blitz, but with designed quarterback runs, read options, things of that nature. We saw Washington do it against Philadelphia a few times in this game. They teased it early in the game. They liked what they saw. They came back to it later on and had some big gains off of it. What is Dallas doing with Dak with his legs in the running game?
1: Well, I mean, they, they pick their spots with it. They'll, they'll do it on some short yardage situations. They like to do it in the red zone. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't do it a ton, but they do it enough where obviously, A, it allows him to make some plays with his legs, but it B, you know, it, it softens up the defense a bit because if you're that backside defensive end and you see that sort of zone read, look, you've got to worry about Dak or maybe you start thinking about doing things like a scrape exchange to force him to keep it. And now you're like game planning for something that happens once or twice a game. Anything that extra that a defensive coordinator has to prepare for going into a week, going into a game like this, that's time spent. Not dealing with how you're going to stop Ezekiel Elliott. Not dealing with how you're going to handle some of the layering concepts and some of the other things they do in the passing game. Things you'll see, you know, 85% of the time, not 5% of the time. And so it adds up, you know, when when you've got sort of limited practice time and now you have to worry about what Dak Prescott can do with his legs as well. It's going to cost you somewhere else. Mark, are the Eagles screwed? (laughs) I mean (laughs) – I don't – At least if,
0: like I, from a defensive perspective, I'm really I worried about this I don't want
1: to morning. read what you put in the DMs this morning <laughs> because this is technically a family show. So I won't read that. But, look, confidence isn't exactly high right now. I mean, look, at the same time, let's let's try to take the glass half full approach, right? You're Philadelphia, you're coming off two road Wins against divisional foes. Yes, they're bad opponents, but one was in a driving rainstorm. We had to come back in, I, I guess, you know, the Eagles game was at home. So, but two wins over divisional opponents in somewhat comeback, somewhat dramatic fashion, one of which was in a driving rain windstorm. You've got some momentum, and yes, you can believe in that to some degree. Are we really buying Dallas after a win over the Rams, who seem to have kind of packed it in? You know, they haven't looked great either. And Since everything on this show seems to come back to one common thread, one team lost to Mitch Trubisky, one team beat Mitch Trubisky. So let's take the positive approach (laughs) and bet on the team that beat Maserati Mitch and have some optimism this week because otherwise, look, I mean, we're getting to the end here. We don't want to be haunted by the ghost of Christmas past too much. So let's try to be positive let's ride or die with our teams that are facing must-win games because I'd rather talk about the Eagles right now than the Patriots who are going to lose this week. So, yeah. Irrational hope. That's what keeps – Irrational
0: hope. Welcome to
1: the era of irrational and unbridled optimism, friends. (laughs) That's what it's
0: all about. That's what we're all about here on the QB Go Show. So hopefully we weren't too much of a downer. But, hey.
1: Go to the and Solak Show for the negative stuff. Yeah, there you go. Stay here for that. I'm sure Ben has some stupid
0: stuff to say. He's, he's, he's He's always got something lined up. All right. Mark, let's get the heck out of here, man. We're 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 done here. We'll, we'll talk about this after the fact and uh,
1: say hi to Mitch for me.
0: The timeline is going to be something else if if the Eagles don't pull this out. It's it's going to be yeah.
1: hell. This weekend is going to be brutal. All the timeline. It's like no, it's it, going it to be. like brutal. we talked
0: about coming into the show, man. We just for fans, this is great. Fans hate June. Fans absolutely hate June. So There's right. nothing going on. Football, like real football, doesn't start for another three months. June is like because we have all the draft stuff to do. Yep. And draft Twitter is like worse than any hell imaginable we have to wait until like then we have the, the, the you know May like did they make the right picks and this is his role right. blah 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 all the follow-up stuff and then June is like the only month where we get to be like okay breathe right try to chill during this week and then just lay it all out during the games gentle listener just let the
1: let the tweets go yep. let the tweets fly let, the, let them fly fire up the tanks <laughs>
0: so that's gonna do it here for the QB's go show episode 45 thank you for listening we'll catch you next time